the fastest known time podcast is back for another day here at summer outdoor retailer in denver so if you hear some background noise that's because there is background noise and we have a guest in today who's in the outdoor industry not surprisingly he was born and raised near hanover new hampshire now he's working for a PR firm in Carbondale, Colorado, an active athlete. Welcome, Jeff Colt. Thanks, Buzz. Now, Jeff is an interesting guy. Uh, like I said, New Hampshire to Colorado. We're going to ask him in a minute what's the difference between New England and the Wild West. But Jeff is really keen. He actually came here to talk to me about the Hut to Hut Traverse. Hopefully, everybody knows about this. It's going from the uh, European-style Appalachian Mountain Club huts in New Hampshire, hut to hut. You start at one hut, you do the whole huts, and it's a, it's a big, big, long day. It's very competitive. But let's let Jeff tell us what's up with the Traverse this year. Yeah, so the Hut Traverse, uh, I think on map, it's a 49-mile route, um, about 17,200 feet of gain. Um, my Strava might have put it closer to 46 miles, but it goes from Carter Notch Hut on the east side of the White Mountains to Lonesome Lake Hut on the west side of the White Mountains, or vice versa. Uh, it's about the same uh, elevation profile, both directions. And it's through the White Mountains, which are notoriously rugged. Uh, there's a lot of up and down. So for a 46 mile route to have over 17,000 feet of climbing kind of speaks to what that terrain is like um, and historically I think the, the Hut Traverse has been appealing to folks who've worked in the Appalachian Mountain Club. Um, the Appalachian Mountain Club's fostered hiking and trail running in the White Mountains since their founding and uh, the first recorded Hut to Hut Traverse was in the early 1930s. So in terms of history, the Hut Traverse has a lot of it. A lot. Well, it was classic New England. Now I'll verify what you said about the steepness. For those who haven't been there, you can be cranking up Franconian Notch. It's steep. What's the name of the hut on top there that has that... It's extraordinarily gnarly. It's literally using your hands. Yeah, Greenleaf, Greenleaf Hut on Franconia Ridge. So the infamous Red Rocks section of uh, the old bridle path. You have to use hands over feet. Um, and there's a few sections throughout the route that you're definitely on all fours climbing. Thank you. Couldn't remember the name of the hut. Because I've done hut to hut traverse, leaving out the first and the last ones. It's hard to get up there. And just, I couldn't handle the logistics. So it's a wonderful route. The other aspect that you mentioned is the steepness. That's because everything out west is built by horses. Essentially, all trails out west are for pack animals, even long speed. You go up to a 14er, that's a very wide, uh, low angle trail. That was made for pack animals. But there was no pack animals in New England. And so people just went to the bottom straight up. Yeah, we uh, definitely have a notoriety for direct trails um, from the bottom to the top of the mountain as quickly as possible. And there were pack mules uh, used occasionally in the White Mountains um, throughout time, but they turned out to be a pretty um, ig- or, uh, stubborn animal. So getting them to stop when you wanted them to stop was problematic, but um, there's no graded trails. So everything's gonna go up the steepest path and 
turns out water also comes down the steepest path. So uh, if that gives an indication, you're you're climbing up a lot of a lot of steep things that turn into waterfalls whenever rain does fall. This unfortunately is true, but it's a fun place, and like you said, it's a great great history. The legacy is just insane, and on the hut to hut traverse. We should notice note that there's two other big, well-known FKTs in the White Mountains: the Prezi Traverse and the Pimi Loop, Pimi Juasa Loop. But the Hut to Hut certainly is the biggest, and uh, it's the classic because it was started by the Hut Boys. And I'm calling them Hut Boys, even though they allow females there now. But originally they did not until I forgot what it is. But for a long time it was Hut Boys. But fortunately they opened up on that one. Yeah, uh, so in the 40s during World War II, women were actually brought into the huts to take up the slack because a lot of the working guys were overseas. And then officially the huts allowed women on crew um, in the 70s. So hut crew is now what uh, we use to refer to, and it's C-R-O-O, a little, uh, little fun hut language. But um, you know, there's six to 10 crew at each hut, and so one of the best parts about doing the hot traverse as an AMC hot crew is when you run by every hut, you get to see a lot of your friends who you know, might be six or eight miles away, they might be 35 miles away. So it is a, it's almost like a really long chain of hugs going from one point to the other point, seeing familiar faces. And aid station. So if you're on the hut, this came up in fastknowntime.com. I think someone's asking us about supported, unsupported, things like that. Yeah. Um, so for years, uh, a hut crew named George Heinrichs held the fastest time on the hut traverse. And because hut crew are typically doing it, they know a lot of the folks in the huts. And it, it does kind of change the scene a little bit when you go in and your friends like want to give you uh, you know, Gatorade or they want to like, they made brownies for you or bacon, chocolate covered bacon. Um, but this past summer, in July, Liam Davis, a runner from the Adirondacks, broke the record, which was huge. Uh, I was sitting in Carbondale with plans to go out and try the route and saw Liam run it. All of a sudden, I felt this like new pressure of like, oh man, a kid from the Adirondacks has R FKT in New Hampshire. Like Now I need to do this for the hunt crew and for being from New Hampshire. Um, but Liam and I had a good conversation between the difference between unsupported and self-supported. And uh, I think it's easy to look at the hot traverse like a race with aid stations. If you go through and maybe you have a nutrition sponsor and you carry all your own food for a race, you're still going to be filling up water at those aid stations. And it'd be maybe out of place to say that's a fully unsupported effort during a race. Um, it's a similar thought with the hot traverse. There is potable water offered at every hut. Um, and there are also a bunch of other offerings at the huts um, they they stand for high mountain hospitality so they want to they want to provide um, so I think in, in the end uh, between our conversation and uh, Liam's input as well we talked about the hut traverse being a self-supported route um, you're filling up water maybe you take a snack from a hut but for the most part people are carrying you know, their own supplies because there's a good amount of distance and time six miles, eight miles, might actually end up taking two and a half hours in that terrain. That's right. We decided it was self-supported because the definition is that it has to be available to everyone. So if it's just someone giving just you aid, that is support no matter what. 
but if it's generally available, like if you're going past a public water fountain, that's self-supported. And I certainly was never part of crew, but I've got my share of illuminating brownies that I've been passing through. So I think that's fair enough. So, so you're seeing someone's got a record. You going to go back for the new FKT, or what, what's up with the uh, Hut to Hut this year? Yeah. So um, just to clarify, Liam Davis ran that uh, record of the middle 11s in July, and then I went out um, in August and um, brought the time down to 10:57. So in one year. Um, you know, the record dropped from 12.38 to 11.47 to 10.57. And that momentum, I think, reflects overall the enthusiasm and momentum in the White Mountains around trail running and ultra running. Um, so there's you know, groups in the Whites. Uh, Andrew Drummond organizes Run the Whites. There's, like, you know, Tuesday night runs and Friday night vert and a lot of energy happening around, uh, you know, North Conway and generally the White Mountains in terms of how do we link up these routes and what new things could we uh, link up. So you know, going back years on the FKT website, um, Ben Nephew's been the, the strongest voice, you know, in terms of... I was going to ask you about Ben. Yeah, in terms of uh, Ben runs a lot of routes and he runs a lot of them really fast. And a lot of those routes are in the White Mountains. Um, Ben and now Patrick Karen um, has the record for the Pemi Loop, but Ben was pushing that. Um, there's a few names over the last two, you know, two decades who've really made uh, significant improvements to the record times. Well, this is something Peter and I have always noticed: is uh, it's FKT action in New England. It's competitive, and people know what's there, what's not. You can still go to Colorado, which people are talking about, and do things someone hasn't done. We still do many OKTs, and of course, on our podcast uh, about five weeks ago was Nate Bender, who did the Montana 12s, and he was the first person ever to do them in one year. But if you go back to the Whites, everybody knows what's up, and so it becomes a little more competitive, and people start you know, start shaving minutes. And if you can take three minutes off the present traverse, you've done well. Yeah, uh, that's definitely true. The White Mountains have 48, 4,000 footers, and it's a point of pride for um, a lot of folks in the Whites to have summited every 4,000 footer in each season um, or each calendar year. So you get to a point where like the number of unique options are slowly waning. Um, Andrew Drummond did the you know 48 uh, Diratissima I think two summers ago. Um, you know, that's a six-day effort. So what is D-Ratissima? I mean, that's just, it's continuous then. Yeah, linking up the um, most direct route to summit every peak um, with no you know, bike or um, driving between, actually linking them all up on foot. Oh, that's the difference. It's not only self-propelled, but it's all on foot. Yeah. So it's 48 of them in six days. Yeah, I think that was that's what Andrew did. Good. I didn't know about that one. Um, and this summer, you know, there's conversation around, there's a really beautiful 100-mile route that goes from the southern border of the White Mountain National Forest, following the Appalachian Trail through the White Mountain National Forest to where it uh, borders Maine. And it's like almost perfectly 100 miles. So I know, uh, I know there's a few folks in New Hampshire this summer who are going to, you know, ideally set the OKT on that. It's not the only known time because the AT has thousands of hikers a year, but for... Uh, for really treating that like a point-to-point route, 
um, and I'm sure there'll be a second and third attempt this summer for bettering that to be a fastest snow time. So when someone throws down, everybody else notices that they're there. Definitely. Um, over the last few years, the women's time on the on the hot traverse has also been improving drastically. And the hot traverse is long enough, and it's a challenging enough route that if you don't know it, um, it's not one that you know the best runner in the world can necessarily show up and just go execute on. The the climbs are persistent. Um, some of the mountains have seven full summits where you're just wondering, like, am I ever going to get there? And then te uh, temperature and weather are always a factor. If you get a hot traverse from one end to the other without hail, rain, or wind, you hit you hit the lottery. Um, so I know this summer some of the uh, some of the fastest women some of the fastest women on earth are, are going to the whites to to try to better that hot traverse time even more. I see why you're getting out of there. Yeah, come out to Colorado. It's a lot more relaxed out here. We just say, "Oh yeah, that was pretty good. Let's go do that." But that's not the New England style. Hey, here's a one last question before we leave the Northeast. Have you ever raced the Big Hill? The Big Hill, going up Mount Washington, the Auto Road. I haven't run up the Auto Road. Um, there's amazing routes up Mount Washington from every side. So I've typically stuck to those routes, uh, you know, lowest path, t taking different routes to go up to the summit. Um, I was the caretaker at Herman Lake Shelter right in the base of uh, Tuckerman Ravine for a few months and got to really explore all the different uh, buttresses and, and uh, ravines of Mount Washington. But well, well, so I've done the race a couple of times, never only during the race like that, but it's, so it's classic ring. it's uber competitive. And the team show up, there's team competitions, and they all have their little 10 by 10 tents. But you just said something else, Under Lake Shelter and Tucker and Ravines, and you're just backcountry skier, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah, I've been skiing Tuck since I was around eight years old. So is the Inferno still being held? The Inferno is still being held, and uh, it's still as much New Hampshire pride as ever. Um, I know I've mentioned his name a few year, a few times now, but I think Andrew Drummond won the Inferno this year, making sure that... Uh, a New Hampshire boy threw down. It looks definitely a it's definitely a throwdown. Well, get, we're going to have to keep keep on top of here, but just tell everyone what what the Inferno is. So the Inferno is mixing biking, hiking, running, skiing, and kayaking in a single day, uh, going side to side on Mount Washington. So, um, in some ways, you know, North Conway is this hub of outdoor sports, and it's like the you know who's the who's the biggest player in, in all of those sports? Who can link it all up? Well, the ski part of the Inferno is, I mean, biking, who cares? The ski part, that's that's the next level part because if you want to win this, you don't do turns. I mean, you, you point them downhill. I mean, I've heard people putting bear grease on their face just to uh, protect themselves. So what's your story on the ski part coming down the headwall? So I haven't gotten to do the Inferno personally. Um, the headwall of Tuckerman's ranges from 45 degrees to 50 degrees. It's steep. Uh, it's typically runnelled, And you get down to lunch rocks and then really, really narrow snow link-ups you know, over a creek to... Um, to Hillman's Highway all the way down to the bottom. And yeah, I mean, it's it's point them over the top. You've got about 2,000 feet of immediate vert that's gonna go by in a matter of seconds, you know, less than a minute. And then holding on, hoping your legs survive for 
a full six mile ski um, down to Pick a Notch. Well, we were going to get into why you moved from New England to Colorado, but I think we already answered that question, didn't we? That was a classic story. I, I suddenly I remember the for It all was coming back to me now. It's an amazing place, super classic. The Crawford Path, that was that was like 19th century, maybe even before that. So in terms of footpaths and races, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal history. But let's shift gears. Here we are out in uh, sunny Colorado, and it is sunny right now. So what? Why'd you come out? I mean, you're you, you love New Hampshire. I do. Yeah, New Hampshire's in my veins. My grandfather and my dad, like my whole family is from New Hampshire. Um, and I knew if I didn't leave, I would never leave. So my sister's been living in Carbondale, Colorado, teaching at a school out there. And I knew about Backbone Media through some uh, mutual acquaintances and um, decided I actually applied for my job at Backbone from, uh, from Tux, from Herman Lake's Visitor Shelter because there's internet there for the snow forecasters. So I'm sitting in the woods in my little hermit shelter, um, applying for jobs out west. Um, but a big part of the change was I knew, uh, I knew the whites made you really strong, and they do, they make you incredibly strong. But I don't think they necessarily were making me that fast. And I wanted to enter trail running more as a, um, as a competitive sport. And I knew Colorado was a great place for that training with a little bit more um, comfortable trails, less formidable, um, but also that idea of training at altitude. And uh, I like that. So here we are on Colorado, and here's this guy saying, yeah, you know, less formidable, a little more mellow. And you go, you kind of think, wait a minute, I thought we were formidable. But it, it's all good. It's all good. So is this working out? I mean, have you become faster? Are you competitive at races? Yeah, it's been, it's been good. Um, Colorado has some absolutely ridiculous terrain as well. Some really, really difficult stuff. But I think the, the running trails, you know, we, we get in mind are those built by, uh, built by pack animals. Um, it's been good. I mean, it's, it's a far more race-oriented culture out here. And, um, it's been cool to actually get to enter races throughout the Intermountain West and uh, be able to get there without having to hop on a, hop on a plane. But... Um, yeah, this year started out really well for me. And are you going to bring some uh, FKT goals out here with you? Yeah, yeah, trying to mix up uh, both some of the races that appeal to me. Um, getting to do Jimez a few weeks ago down in Los Alamos, that's a race that's always been on my radar. Um, just like reading the legends of Kyle Skaggs and all these, uh, all these really fast guys who run down there. So... I do want to look at specific races where the courses are awesome, but mostly um, the Elk Mountains have an amazing variety of routes and uh, some really steep mountains, some tall mountains, and the kind of granddaddy in the Elks is linking all those 14,000 footers up in the Elk Tours. So what, what's the numbers on that? I mean, there was how many summits, and this, this is, these are high, these are rugged ones. These aren't like the San Juans, which pardon me, are kind of giant tailless piles. But all the Elks, they're steep. And Capitol you know, has that real solid granite. But So how many 14ers in the Elks traverse, and how long do you think it's going to take? So there's, um, technically there's six 14ers in the Elks. Um, the Elk traverse ends up uh, finishing on Conundrum, and Conundrum and um, Castle are technically not high enough apart to distinguish between 
you know, two different uh, 14,000 foot summits. But um, for the sake of the route, conundrum is included. So the route, you know, starts with Capital, and Capital, two summers ago, um, Capital claimed seven lives. It's not a, it's not a forgiving mountain by any means. The knife's edge is pretty serious. Um, so it's Capital, Capital is Snowmass, uh, Snowmass to the Bells, so North and South Maroon Bell, then Pyramid, and I think Pyramid might be the crux of the whole route, because getting from Pyramid. Um, you either have to go right up and back down the way you came or try to find a link up from Pyramid uh, down some pretty steep steep terrain to get over to uh, Castle. Well, Castle's pretty good. Like I said, um, Capital's great. North Face, Knife Edge. Uh, Pyramid's terrible. This is some of the worst rock on planet Earth. It's like going up to Banff, Lake Louise. You wear a hard hat to get out of the parking lot. It's just, it's, Pyramid is terrible. Yeah, uh, you know, I think in ultra running in general, right, we treat ourselves, we train ourselves to like things that we shouldn't like, whether that's, you know, suffering, discomfort, uh, eating just sugar packets for, you know, many hours at a time, and I'm trying to really love Pyramid. Um, Tony's had the fastest time on that mountain for for a number of years now, and want to, like, work that mountain as much as possible this summer to really become friends with it, because... it's it's like loose rock, it's scrambling, it's scree, uh, there's some really high exposure, and it's one of those mountains that it will take as long to come down as it does to go up. Come off, boy, you're out of the frying pan fire here, Jeff. So what's the time on, uh, I mean, I remember when Neil Biderman used to be up to so that's my first introduction. Yeah. So what was, the, what is the time, or what do you hope to do? Yeah, Neil. Uh, Neil's one of the first people to link up at Ultraverse, and Ricky Gates, who's a hometown hero of the Roaring Fork Valley as well. Ricky's, you know, sessioned that route probably the the most thoroughly, and and really done the, the fastest um, burn on it, uh, right around 26 hours. Um, we're looking, you know, 60 mile route with almost 30k of climbing uh, right in that zone. So it's not a it's not an easy uh, you know walk in the woods. Um, but I do think sessioning it this summer and working on each link up. So this summer's plan is to link up Capital Snowmass, link up Snowmass the Bells, link up the Bells and Pyramid, and really focus on Pyramid to um, see if there is another uh, option going down to put you in East Morgan Creek and get you over toward Capital. Um, and if that is the case, I think I think the time could be brought down you know, in the 20, sub 20 hour range. Um, Getting it into a single day is definitely the, the first goal. Right, excellent. Single days, you don't the overnight, the bivy, etc. Adds a whole other dimension. And you're projecting it. I mean, classic—that's what we call it. You know? Yeah. The classic climber term where you work on a route. Same for us. You're going to work on the route unless you get these traverses down. It's going to eat up hours. And so it's, it's great. You get to learn about the Alps and do what you want to do anyway. Yeah, um, I went in, uh, my first time I tried the hot traverse, I went in like very arrogant. I, uh, I decided to do it on June 21st, which was hike naked day on the Appalachian Trail. I decided to do it naked and I wanted to try to beat the FKT and just like, like make a statement. That was a terrible idea. I didn't know the, the route that well. I got lost, uh, horrible chaffage, uh, you know. Ended up quitting at like 35 miles and have since tried the hot traverse, you know, few times and really project all those sections 
So when I did it this past summer, I knew every rock on the whole, you know, almost 50 mile route. Like every footing I had experienced before and I used to climb a lot. So that mentality is definitely there of sessioning and, and actually projecting each hole, like each placement. Um, it made the Hunterverse this past summer, you know, I was thinking I was going to be behind on all of these like point times that I had to be at at each hut. And I'd get there and realize, okay, I got like a 10 minute gap. I've got a 20 minute gap. Like, I've got a 35, 40 minute gap. Like this is, it's really coming together. And the same goes for, you know, racing. Like you do a race more than once, you understand that course, you know how the aid stations work and it becomes far more familiar. And you went back to get the FKT and the hot dogs after you really understood it, I presume you wore clothes at that effort. I did wear clothes, yeah. Uh, that was key. Um, makes going into huts to get uh, to get water a lot easier when you're actually clothed. And you bailed at 30 miles in that earlier attempt. That that bailout must have been a tad awkward. I, I was working at one of the huts at that point. Sorry, Appalachian Mountain Club. Uh, so I actually bailed at the hut that I lived at and worked at. Found uh, found some clothes around back on the okay, clothesline. I see. Well, that's a good ending of that story, Jeff. <laughs> uh, trying to figure out how is this going to end? Do we want to put this on here or not? So that's that's an easy ending. You go into the hut that you worked at. You already had clothes there. I was on the Green River paddling recently, and the ranger told me that someone got out of his boat to apparently relieve himself, and the boat drifted off, <laughs> and he. According to the ranger, he was naked, and the boat's going down the river. So he's standing there, kind of in the middle of nowhere, so he's got to stand there and flag down a passing boat, buck naked. That's, that'd be a tough hitch, honey. That would be a tough hitch, yeah. I, uh, looking back on it, probably not the smartest move, but it was, it was definitely fun and entertaining, and I learned uh, running shorts actually provide a great amount of important protection. Okay, you heard it here. So gear tips from fastestknowntime.com. Running shorts work. Don't leave home without them. Jeffrey Colt, thanks so much. It's been a really fun conversation. Welcome to Colorado. And I'm sure you'll be visiting the White Mountains again. Epic place. And we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks so much, Buzz. Yeah, I really appreciate what you guys do. You and Peter uh, inspire a lot of of new routes. And uh, I know the... The whole New England and New Hampshire crew love FKT. Um, you know, they thrive off it. So look forward to seeing what, what happens this summer. Excellent. Likewise.